And let's turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Here we go. Talk about a Savior promised. How are we doing? I told some of you who were late, don't be bummed that senior pastor greets you at the front door, looks at his watch, and rolls his eyes. Okay, it's not a big deal. But really what I told you is lay your burdens down. This is no place to come all burdened up and uh, keep them. You lay them down. So we're here to talk about a Savior promise, the wonder of Christmas part one. And I want you to think of this phrase. We may not know God's ways, like Isaiah 55 says, his ways are beyond finding out. Like, what's he doing? I don't always know. We may not know his ways, but we can know his heart. And that's the idea of Christmas. We can know God's heart and what he's doing. So I don't know about you, but St. Jude commercials always get me. Anybody else? The St. Jude. Yeah, so you have this like this little girl. Bald head, dress with a sign, you're my hero. Here's another one. In bed with her teddy bear. Here's a, here's a threesome. Now, I love this one. You know, it's like, hey, girlfriend, you got it working for you. They're all posing, looking like they're babes at nine years old. But I think any one of them would challenge me. I think any one of them would say, what? You get up in the morning, you don't have to check your vitals. You don't need someone to help you go to the toilet. You, don't, you, you can take a shower. You have a home. You have food in the fridge. And you have an attitude? What? I mean, these guys are survivors. They're, they're fighters. So this, whether their commercials break your heart in two ways. Number one, uh, it's because of the cakey. You, your heart goes out for those children. But number two, it goes out for their parents. And so when I'm looking at these commercials, I, I look at the parents. Because uh, I've met some of them, maybe not at St. Jude's, but uh, from my experience. And they are so loving and sacrificial. Uh, I, I just don't know how they do it. So my connection to this, this is why it regurgitates so much for me. Uh, seven years ago, I was diagnosed with having prostate cancer. Very treatable. I'm 100% cured. Uh, what I did was proton beaming in Tennessee. And they call it a radiation vacation because it wasn't anything radical. It was actually fun. I was there with my wife. And what they would do at this proton beaming hospital to develop camaraderie and koinonia, fellowship. They, they, they said, we want you to do stuff together, get to know each other, talk, laugh. And so this one night they put us all on a boat, on a, on a bus, and shipped us off to Knoxville where we watched the uh, University of Tennessee men's basketball team. And they had us way up in some penthouse thing that was amazing. All of us are up there. And here's, my wife took this picture of me and a, a, I think she was like 10-year-old girl. And it's the kind of thing that, you know, you see her get on the bus, you go, who is that? She had this smile that would just rip your heart out. She, she was uh, the epitome of innocence. Yes, she had brain cancer. And I, I just looked at her and then in the room watching the game. We didn't watch too much of the game. We just talked. It, it, she's one of those people you go, I, I, I want to know you. I want to know your story. I want to jump into your soul. 
And that's what they wanted. They wanted to do this, have popcorn together. And, and so for me, mine's very treatable. I, I, I can kick myself. I, I've lost contact with this girl. And I honestly don't know if she made it. She was, this was her last ditch try outside of a miracle from God. And to talk to her mom and the sacrifices she was making, and I'm thinking, how are you still married? I mean, you and your husband are jockeying all around, and it's your turn, it's his turn. And Now, here's the deal. We all had cancer, and we knew it. No one at this place was in denial. And it'd be foolish. I don't have cancer. Yeah, you do, and that's why you're here. We all have this together. We all knew that we needed help. And by talking with the parents, this got what got me. These parents would do anything for their kids. Do you see where I'm going with this? See, the Christmas story, it's the gospel. We don't have cancer. We have sin. It's a lot more serious. It is fatal forever, times forever, times forever. And, and, and yet here their parents would just do anything. But the Christmas story is God saying, I'd do anything. I, I see my kids suffering with cancer and my heart breaks. Now, he's not going to go sin. He's not going to lie. But in the idea of sacrifice, he sent his only begotten son. I was tempted to stop the sermon right here. You know, you know when you're reading Psalms and it says, Selah? It means stop. Think about what you just read. Chew on it. Meditate. But we're, you know, I got my quota. I got to read four chapters today. And if we could digest the fact that God loves us, the way cancer parents, cancer, the cancer victims' parents love them, we'd understand his love for us. You, you see, the bottom line, I hate cancer. My dad died of cancer at 60 years old. Karen's dad died of it when he was my age. I hate cancer, but I really hate cancer in kids. And that's where the sacrifice of the parents will come in. But that gives us an idea of what God is like, how he will sacrifice for us. So if you're turned to Genesis chapter 3, of course, I never do that. I tell you to do it. And, um, but here's, here's what we're going to read. I had to get this big Bible because the lights glare at me and in my smaller print, I couldn't read it. So now I have this 15-pounder, you know, I do. So Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 6. So the woman, so we pick it up, Eve is having a discussion with Satan, basically, who's dressed up as a snake, as a serpent. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her. Evidently, he's standing there. And he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So how does this fit in with Christmas? God had forbidden that fruit. Now, if you're picturing this, they're in the Garden of Paradise. This is God's garden. You don't get better. And he said, okay, here's the rules. Have a blast. 
See that one tree? Just stay away from it. And they're going, you mean this tree? I like this shade. And this. You see that? Why, why are you trying to get as close as possible to the one thing you're supposed to avoid? And he didn't say, oh, if you eat that day, it, it'll really hurt me. That's not the idea. He said, the day you eat that, you're going to die. It's for your own good that God has given us instructions and commandments. And now they, they ate. They didn't die that day physically. That took hundreds of years for them. But they died spiritually. Thus far, all they had known was koinonia, at one with God and each other at the same time. And just, all they had known is love, joy, and peace. But that day, they bit, and the, their spiritual lives had a death. Now, I want to review a little bit of Eve. We did this on, on Mother's Day. But just to see, she did a lot of firsts. She was the first to eat a papaya. Maybe it was a strawberry one. We used to have one of those in our yard. Oh, my goodness. Maybe she started the whole chocolate thing by having cocoa. Or maybe lettuce. Uh, maybe her eyes popped the first time she bit into a pear and it exploded in her mouth. And, and uh, maybe she was just adventurous. I, I think she'd be a lot of fun to be around. Hey, let's try this. Okay. I think she'd be inquisitive. Hey, what do you think that is? So I think she's adventurous. I think she must have been beautiful because in Genesis we're told God fashioned her himself. So I'm thinking she's the Miss Universe. Well, she didn't have any competition at this point. But then there was Adam's reaction. Adam's reaction, hey, you're a rock star. <laughs> you know, all that glitters is gold. He's just thinking, this is great. This is awesome. So I think she's beautiful. I think she's romantic. If you think about it, she's the first woman who's ever, ever, ever got married. It was God's idea. He said, hey, I, I got this idea. I'm going to do this permanent relationship with you two. The two shall become one. She was the first woman to ever be kissed. You ever think about that? Yeah, yeah well, I did a study. It's in the Hebrew. Uh, Adam happened to have mistletoe with him. And as they kissed, it was the start of the first ever Hallmark Christmas movie. It was, uh, did I hear a boo? It was Christmas snowflakes in the garden. But uh, I, I, was, I was watching the surf contest the other day at Elise with a bunch of people from her church. And the gal next to me made a confession. Far be it from me to point out who. But she goes, she goes I hate Hallmark Christmas movies. And I said, I have read about people like you. I never saw one up close. Just like, don't tell my wife. But I know she was romantic. Uh, she had a bunch of nevers. I want you to think about this. She, she never had baggage from the past. No former boyfriend messed her up. No other relationships. This guy is a whole new deal for me. I've never experienced anything like this before. She never had in-laws or outlaws, in case any of you are acquiring any of those this week. Uh, she never had to do any of that. She was never embarrassed and never mind games. I, I, I can't imagine. You see, most of us have mind games. Well, all of us have mind games, but most of us admit it. 
Others are in denial. I can prove it scripturally. Satan is the deceiver. The way he tripped up Eve, he's going, wait, wait. Can we challenge God's word? Are you sure that's what he meant? Are you sure that applies to you? Are you sure you can't do this? And so there's these mind games going on constantly. Some people have more of them than others. Some of them let a little too many of them in. She never had a mind game. What a life. No mind games. Never had a belly button. I thought we ought to settle that for for right now. But uh, then there was, what was the forbidden fruit? You know, was it an apple? And we think of that because of the Adam's apple. But uh, I have an apple here. And I thought this would be awesome. It's not the biggest apple in the world. I hope you can see it, okay? But, and they're kicked out of the garden. All right, do you want the rest? That's it. And you go, wait a minute. You're kicked out for that? And then they got the flaming angels with the sword, the flaming sword, so you can't get back in? Lest you eat the tree of life and live forever in that sinful condition? Are you serious? That's all it took? One bite. And so we go, well, what parent... See, I'm still trying to chew my apple. What parent hasn't let that slide? Hey, Johnny, don't eat that chocolate before dinner. Oops. And then you go, okay, just go wash up, let's eat. Why was it such a big deal? It was a disobedience of God. It was the idea, God doesn't know how to give me fun, so I'm going to find it on my own. He says no, I say yes. How about this? What if the apple was something different? What if the forbidden fruit is to be found in the Sermon on the Mount, well, what do you mean? Well, <laughs> what if it's saying, don't bite into anger? It'll lead to murder in your heart. Whoa. Anybody not do that? What if the forbidden fruit was, uh, don't give in to lust? Well, that's so easy. It leads to adultery. leads to hell. Don't give in to pride or hypocrisy. And now you go, well, that's a game changer because these things are so easy. I am actually prone. It's like, remember Velcro? Am I dating myself here? We used to have surf trunks made with Velcro for zippers. Remember that? And by the end of the day, somehow cotton was all over the Velcro. It's just like, yeah, it sticks, but it's just, so it's like my heart is the Velcro. And sin is the cotton. And it's just prone to just attract. And if I go to try and get rid of it, it just, it just makes more of a mess. And so what if these things were the forbidden fruit? She must have been human. Because Eve was the first person to be deceived, as we humans can. First to be tempted. First to cross the line. But I want you to pay attention to that last one. First person to ever feel guilt. Now, I'm thinking her, her emotions are now assaulted with negativity. 
thus far, she's only known love, joy, and peace, harmony with God and man. And all of a sudden, boom, what was that? Why do I feel so alienated? Why do I feel God's mad at me? I know I blew it, but I didn't know it was going to lead to this. And so you go, she sowed fig trees, or fig trees, fig leaves. Some of us need fig trees instead of leaves, just uh, thinking, okay, we can hide from God. Then they both did this, you know, um, the blame shifting. Adam said, don't look at me, Lord. That woman you gave me, what a piece of work. That girl's wicked. And he goes, don't look at me, that snake. I'll never love a snake again. Instead of just owning up, hey, God, I blew it. I mean, you read Psalm 51, Lord. Against you and you only have I sinned because you make the rules and I broke them. So she's the first to feel this. She's thinking, can my relationship with God ever be restored? Because you have to understand what she's feeling right now and knowing I crossed the line. If I were God, you ever do that? If I were God, I'd have nothing to do with me. And and so here comes God. He he sees his children with the cancer of sin. We're back to St. Jude's Hospital. What he doesn't see is repentance. What he doesn't see is people crawling in the dirt saying, please forgive me. What he doesn't see is I'm owning up to my sin. He sees, what are you doing? You're trying to cover up from God? You're trying to blame somebody else? Wait, this is your idea of getting right with God? And if I were God, I'd say, forget you. I don't need this headache. I don't need what you're doing. Be real. And maybe I'll consider it. So good thing we're not God. Because in that state of sinfulness and of trying to cover it up, trying to blame someone else, that's where God gives this promise of a Savior. So the question is, you know the parents of kids who have cancer, how they'll just sacrifice anything? Would God do that? So in chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis, we have what's called the Proto-Evangelium. All you Latin people, I think you're jumping for joy. It means the first gospel. And it's just one line. Uh, For some people, they might just walk and read right over it and not realize what's going on. So God has shown up. He's now passing out judgment, starting with Satan, and referring to Christ, referring to the first promise of a Savior. He, meaning Jesus, is going to bruise your head you're going to bruise his heel. And so there's the first gospel, meaning Jesus is going to come, stomp on your head, and destroy the works of the destroyer. But as in doing so, it's going to require the cross, and so in a sense, you're going to bite his heel, but he wins. So the, the proto-evangelium the first time you read it. So there's his first promise. It wasn't the last. He goes on. In Matthew 1, 21, we have another promise. You should call his name Jesus. Notice the second part. You, for he, will save his people from their sins, from their cancer, if you will. 
But then you go, well, okay, this is a promise, but what good's a promise? I've had promises broken. I've broken promises. Uh, maybe you've heard yourself say this, but you gave me your word. You promised to deliver. You, you swore you'd be there and you weren't there. You, you lied. You failed. God would take that very personally. He doesn't do that. I do have a friend who I go to India with a lot and he's on the mainland. You don't know him. He was raising two teenagers. And he told his son one day, I'll meet you after school. His teenage son, we'll meet you after school at 3 o'clock and play tennis. His son said, no, you won't. You're going to lie, Dad. You never keep your word. Now, this is the dad telling me, confessing. We're in India. He's confessing this to me. I'm going, that's crazy. His, his reasoning was, Dad, you're in ministry, and anytime ministry comes up and conflicts with our appointment, I lose, ministry wins. Well, that teenager is now more than young. He's almost middle-aged. And he grew up thinking men don't keep their promises. It was his dad's fault. And so to kind of put that on God, saying, well, you know, God, he's the same way. No, he's not. He takes it very seriously. I like this, um, call it single 101. The God who cannot lie makes promises he cannot break. And here's why. You go to Psalm 132. Oh, I'm sorry, 138, verse 2. And it says this. For you have magnified your name or placed your name, above, or I'm sorry, placed your word, your promise, your commitment above your name. And you go, well, maybe the name's that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe it's just kind of manini. You go, no, no, no. Remember Jesus in, in um, Philippians 2. He's got the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, like it or not, everyone in the world is going to bow, proclaiming him the Lord of all. So here he said, you know how important God's name is? It's the best name. His name is his reputation. His name stands for everything, character. But his word, his promise is even higher than that. He, he magnifies it uh, above his name. So here Jesus said, okay, you want to talk about truth and a promise? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In, Genesis, in uh, Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back, he's going to be called faithful and true. All that meaning that when God gives a promise, he's faithful and true, he will do it. So what kind of a Savior was promised? Matthew 1, 23. Oh, look at that, 1, 2, 3. We call his name Emmanuel because it means God is with us. Is that comfortable? <laughs> what is he saying? Let's get back to the garden. Let's get back to that kind of koinonia, that kind of wonderful friendship where <laughs> there's no barrier of sin or guilt you're not going through all these mind games e Emmanuel God is with you he's not against you he's for you what, what, what other kind of uh, things were promised of this Messiah well what about Isaiah 9 6 
which I, I just love using this when witnessing to Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses. Because there it says, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, handles Messiah. Do you ever read, hear that and you just start singing it in your head? For unto us. It's a great song. His name shall be called Wonderful. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> when I was having my Eve type thing going on, the Adam and Eve, the fig leaves, the lies, the blame shifting, I didn't call God's name wonderful. I call it terrible. Judgmental. You mentioned the name of God, oh no, is he here? He said, no, 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 it's more like Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. Remember those books? Every time they'd say the name of Aslan, the lion, oh, such hope would just fill their bodies and just peace and love and like just the name was wonderful. He's a counselor. He's not against me. He's not going to lead me in the path of destruction. He's going, I, 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 I'm the good shepherd, he would say. I've got great things for you. I'm leading you. I will counsel you against demonic warfare. I will counsel you against demonic wisdom. I will counsel you against going the wrong way. I'm for you. He's wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Now, there's one that a lot of people get tripped up on. Because when you're dealing with Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses, they'll say, well, see, he's the mighty God, and then Father is the almighty God. Now, you got two gods. The good news is there are other places in Isaiah where God the Father is called mighty God. The idea here is Jesus is called mighty God. He is the Son of God. He is God the Son. And then it's everlasting Father. So now if you've ever just tripped out on, well, I don't know the mighty God stuff, how about everlasting Father? He's God. Everlasting Father. No beginning, no end. Prince of Peace. Is that your favorite one? I, it's pretty cool. It means there's a, a kingdom. And once you enter it, it's kingdom of peace. And there's a ruler there. His name is Jesus. What, what kind of a Savior's promise? Wonderful. Counselor. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So it's not that uh, this, you know, God's teasing us and saying, well, there is a, a, a wonderful counselor out there. There is a savior out there, but he's not for you. He said, no, 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 a anybody. It's the whosoevers. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes would not go to hell. If you want a real literal translation, he won't go to hell would have everlasting life with him in heaven. I'm going to close here. We may not know God's ways, but we can know his heart. And his heart here is forgiveness. Remember I talked about my friend? We all had cancer. We all knew it. Everyone in here is a sinner. And if you don't know it, we know it. We all have cancer of sin. Terminal, stage four, stage tw 20. 
We all knew we needed help. Help only comes in the form of Jesus. So the parents of the kids would do anything. Christmas says God would sacrifice anything. You know, it's one thing that you have a need come up and you might have to sacrifice your bank account and you're thinking twice, how many zeros was on that price tag? But to sacrifice your son... The idea is, you look at the cross, there's no way you could doubt God's love for you again. He sacrificed his son 